Hello and welcome to the New Franklin Assembly podcast. We're so glad that you chose to join us today. Our church is located at 2355 New Franklin Road, Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, 17202. Today, Pastor James will be continuing his sermon series, The Power Of. Today's message is entitled, The Power of Forgiveness. Last week, we started this uh, Power of sermon series, and it was, came about because of some thoughts I had after reading Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Uh, Ephesians 2.10 is one of my favorite verses, but I kind of read that whole section of Scripture a few weeks back, and uh, that portion of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, I'll refer to it today, I read it yet last week, um, but it it, it, it's a portion of Scripture that talks about how we have been made alive with Christ. And that's what the whole story of Easter is all about, how we've been resurrected with Him. It's not, it, Jesus rose from the dead for a very specific purpose, is to bring us with Him, so that we would not remain dead in our trespasses and in our sins. And so He made us alive in Christ. In Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10 tells us about that and tells us not only what Christ did, making us alive with him, but also how he did it. Again, it's Easter season and we so will talk, you know, we focus on the resurrection of Christ and what he has done for us. But Christ came to this earth and died on the cross for a very specific purpose. And it was too, according to Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, to make us alive with him. But Paul starts his chapter off in Ephesians 2 by saying in verse 1, as for you, talking to each one of us individually, he says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And that's no exception. Each and every one of us, at one point, we were dead in our transgressions and sins. And then he goes, all of us, again, without exception, also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. It says, like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. I have a hard time picturing myself as an object of wrath. I, mean, I can get angry. I know I can, you know, I mean, I, I know my bad side, but, you know, an object of wrath. But Paul says we were all, because we, we were part of this broken world. See, by nature, you know, this world is broken. It's been broken ever since Adam and Eve sinned and curse came. So by nature, we are part of this broken world. But then Paul goes on to say, he doesn't stop there. Verses 4 through 9, he says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, he says, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And so that's that portion of scripture that we looked at last week. And I love the way Paul lays things out for us. He's speaking to the Christians, those who have been made alive in Christ. You see, those who have been truly born again, to, to use the phrase that Jesus coined. He says that we have been made alive with Christ now because of what 
Jesus did for us. He says we have been raised up with him. He's referring to Christ's resurrection, right? Our old nature has been crucified, and, and we have now been given new life. And then he says we have been seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. What is he referring to? He's referring to the fact that Jesus ascended into heaven. That's where he is. And he's telling us we also someday will ascend into heaven and be with him and experience new life with him. So Paul is establishing that we have been made alive with Christ if we've accepted him as our personal Lord and Savior and given him our life wholeheartedly. But then he also explains how God made that possible. How did God make us alive with Christ? Using phrases, well, because of his great love for us. That's how we've been made alive with Christ. He says, God who is rich in mercy. That's how we've been made alive in Christ. It is by grace that you have been saved. Actually, he mentions grace three times in that portion of Scripture. Grace, that's how we've been made alive with Christ. And, And finally, it is a gift of God. Nothing we can do, nothing we can earn. You see, we were hopeless, but God gave us a gift. That's how we've been made alive with Christ. But then in verse 7, Paul doesn't only mention what God has done. He not only mentions how God has done this, but he begins to describe why he made us alive in Christ. And verse 7, Ephesians 2, 7 says, In order that, in the coming ages... He, God, might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. He's giving us why. He's answering that why question, you see. So that we might show this broken world the incomparable richness of God's grace. But last week I, 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 started, I told you, I started thinking about this, and I don't think it's just grace That's an incomparable richness of God. I think it's a lot more than grace. And I think it's a lot more that God calls us to to show and display for this broken world. I think it's also God's love. We looked at that last week. I think it's got hope and, and faith. And there's so many things that are just part of God's incomparable riches that he gives to us so that we can show and display for this broken world. Again, last week we looked at the power of love. And the power of God's love is displayed to this broken world when we obey God's commandments, when we love others unconditionally, and when we trust God in all things. Yeah, if, 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 when we take the time and read the scriptures, God's love comes and, and, it's, and expo- we're exposed to it. But for those who don't read the Bible, how how would they know? How can they discover the incomparable riches of God's love towards them? They see it in us. How do they see it in us? Well, it's when we obey his commands, they'll see God's love. When we love others unconditionally, and some people make it hard to love, remember? Yeah. But when we show those people our love for them, they are exposed to God's love for them. And when we trust God in all things, even when we're going through the worst of times, if we can compose ourselves in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord, they will see God's true love, and it will draw them. Today, being Palm Sunday, and the week before Easter Sunday, I want to look at the power of forgiveness. 
the power of, again, the sermon series title is The Power Of, and today we'll look at the title of today's message is The Power Of Forgiveness. Now, Palm Sunday refers to the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem riding on the donkey. And you can look at that in detail uh, on your own. We'll, we'll refer to it. I'll read a little bit of scripture on that. But it was exactly one week before the Jewish people celebrated their Passover meal or the Passover. It was a sacrifice. It was also exactly one week before Jesus was crucified. Passover was a week-long celebration. Many Jews from all over the world would come to Jerusalem to offer the yearly sacrifice. It was an entire week-long ceremony leading up to the Passover meal where they would eat portions of the lamb, the perfect spotless lamb that they had chosen and sacrifice. Jesus and his disciples had also come to Jerusalem that week to celebrate the Passover. Jesus tells his disciples, listen, he tells them where they can find a cult, a donkey that has never been ridden before. He says, go over there and get that cult. I want to ride, him, ride that cult into Jerusalem. And he says, if someone should ask you what you're doing, just tell them I need it. Okay? And so the disciples do that. They go find this cult exactly where Jesus had uh, told them to find it. They bring it to Jesus. They put their cloak on the donkey. Jesus gets on the donkey. And then he comes into Jerusalem, the, the city gates, at the very beginning of this Passover, when the whole world, all the Jewish, all the Israelites from all over the world are now in that city. So the city is jammed, packed with people. Remember, the city of Jerusalem is a walled city, so you can only fit so many people. And it was just packed, the whole city. And he comes riding into the city gates on that donkey. And Mark chapter 11, verses 7 through 10 says this. I wrote, it's, it's, uh, you have a little bit of that scripture up there, but I'll read, I'll read the full, full uh, portion of scripture. It says, when they brought the cult to Jesus and they threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches that they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead of him and those who followed all shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. Now, as you may know, if, you, if you've studied the Passover at all, if you've looked at that scriptures, there is a lot of significance to the cult that Jesus rode, having never been ridden on before. There's some symbolism there. There's a huge connection between the Passover celebration and the crucifixion of Jesus. Jesus was the sacrificial lamb that took away the sins of the world. There's a lot of things we can look at. It's a fascinating study. One day I'll, I'll bring it to you. It's a lot of teaching. It's a lot of in intricate, wonderful facts and figures, th things like that. That's not necessarily what I want to get into today. But when you do study the Passover in detail, you discover that the Passover celebration was a foreshadow of how Jesus would die. And this was something they did for hundreds of years at this point. And it's a foreshadow of how Jesus would die. So again, I don't want to get into all of that, but I do find it interesting in looking at the, the Palm Sunday message, the, the Palm Sunday scripture. I do find it interesting that every Israelite in Jerusalem that day, 
that saw Jesus riding on a donkey, they all agreed. There were no dissenters. They all agreed that, yes, Jesus, this was the Messiah that we've been praying about. This is what the Messiah that we've been believing for. This is the, 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 the one the prophets had prophesied about. Jesus, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They all agreed, yes, Jesus, you're the one. But then only one week later, those exact people, instead of waving palm branches, singing his praises, they'd be waving their fists, crying out, crucify him! Crucify him! Give us Barabbas and crucify Jesus! Same people. Now, we grew up, the kid, my, I should say, my kids grew up Every year we would go on vacation, and typically it was a Disney vacation. It's just something we, we scrounged and saved pennies, and we just, you know, it was a long year, and so on. Usually in the summer when Julie was, wasn't teaching, we, we'd take them to Disney, whether every other year at least. And so they know that place. Now, you go and you schedule a week-long vacation, so you're in the parks every day, or at the resort or where, wherever you're staying, so even though you don't get to know everybody, you know, a lot of faces, even though there's thousands upon thousands of people, you know, you get to recognize some people simply because you're waiting on a 45-minute line and that person's in front of you or behind you or that screaming kid that, that ran the cotton candy across, now you're seeing online two days later, so, oh, that was that kid, stay away from him. You know, that kind of, so you get to, you, faces become familiar. Well, Jesus may not have known everyone in Jerusalem, but I'm sure he began to recognize faces just because of the fact that he was there all week and they had a, a different activities and different festivities and the temple's activities were every day. It was all, an all-week ceremony. It's an all-week celebration. Now, one week later, while Jesus was hanging on the cross, these same people that he watched that he perhaps got to know, were now mocking him, cursing him. And it is in this context that Jesus looks down at the people while hanging on the cross and utters those now famous words, Father, forgive them, but they know not what they do. See, Palm Sunday is not just about how Jesus came riding in, uh, on a donkey into Jerusalem. It's all about how these people who once accepted him now rejected him. It's about how all these people who Jesus loved and cared for and prayed for were now showing their hatred towards him. It's all about how deeply hurt and how deeply wounded Jesus became. And it wasn't the nails in his hands and feet that caused the pain. Of course, that was excruciating. But it was the ones who rejected him that caused more pain than a nail could ever cause. It was a deeper wound in his heart than would ever be on his hands or his feet. 
See, Palm Sunday is about how Jesus was able to forgive these people. Palm Sunday is about the power of forgiveness. Last week we learned that as we display to this broken world the love of God, even when it's hard, even when they make it difficult for us to show them love, when we are able to show them love, well, they are able to see and experience then the love of God for themselves. It draws them. It, it, it stands out. Well, again, how do we show God love to this broken world? By loving others. We can love people who are hard to love, but because God first loved us, that's why we can do it. That's how we can do it. See, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were unlovable, God loved us. While we were rejecting him, Jesus accepted us. So we've all come across people who are hard to love and make it difficult, whatever it is. But yet that's one of the reasons why we have been made alive with Christ, to love those who are even unlovable. Well, it's the same thing with forgiveness. Why are we called? We are called to do the same thing. How are people in this world, this broken world, going to experience richness of God's forgiveness power, the power of God to forgive if they don't see us displaying it. I'm, to forgive someone who has hurt you in a way that cuts deep to the core, yeah, that's what we're called to do. But how many know that, you know, that's not easy. It's, it's, it's hard enough to show love to someone who's not really loving us back, but to forgive them, who, the people who perhaps even intentionally hurt us or wish ill upon us. Yeah, that's what we're called to do. Did Jesus find it easy to look down on that cross and forgive others? Well, he's God. Of course he found it easy. No, no, no. See, while his hands and his feet were excruciatingly nailed to the cross, while his lungs were filling up with water, making it difficult for him to breathe and even speak, while his ripped apart back from all the, 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 the whips he had endured, while his back would endure the splintering cross behind him, he looked at them and said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. So let me ask you a question. How easy, it is, how easy is it for you to forgive others when they hurt you, even if it's deep to the core? You see, I, I personally at times have found it nearly impossible. I'll be honest. It's hard enough to get past someone who just annoys you. But now if they hurt you deep to the core, you know, now you have to... Yeah. March, I mean, sorry, Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15 says this. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive you yours. Ouch. Jesus spoke these words. That's pretty serious. This verse tells me that no matter how hard it might be to forgive those who have 
hurt me. That I need to find a way to do it. You see, this verse also tells me that not only do we need to forgive others so that the world may know the power of God's forgiveness for them, but this verse tells me that I need to forgive others so that I myself can experience the power of God's forgiveness. Because I'll never experience, according to this verse, I'll never experience the power of God's forgiveness unless I'm able to forgive others when they sin against me, when they hurt me. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. There's a lot of things we could talk about, about how we must live as Christians. Forgiveness is among the toughest. So how can we make forgiving others easier? It's never easy. Let me just say that. But perhaps the scriptures can teach us how it can become easier to forgive those who have hurt us. And to help us with this, I want us to turn to an Old Testament character in the Bible, an Old Testament type of Christ. Now, there are several characters within the Old Testament that we call types of Christ. One of them being Moses, right? Moses delivered God's people from Egypt. Egypt is always considered to be a type of the world, a type of sin. And Moses delivered the Israelites, so we could see a lot of symbolisms there. He's a type of Christ. Melchizedek, not much taught about Melchizedek. It's, it's a character in the, in the, in the book of uh, Genesis, and I think it's referred to again in Hebrews. Uh, very little known character in the Bible. But the few little things we know, we can see that he was a type of Christ. But one more type of Christ, a famous one in the, in the scriptures, probably second only to Moses, because Moses is a, is a big one, big character, is the story of, of Joseph. How many know the, the story of Joseph in the Old Testament? If you grew up in Sunday school, you knew him to be Joseph in the coat of many colors. You ever heard that story? Yeah. But honestly, the coat of many colors is a very small part of that story. I don't want to say it's insignificant, but it's, it's, it's a smaller part of that story. But yet we know it by referring to him as Joseph in the coat of many colors. But a better summary of Joseph's life well, really should be Joseph and, and the brothers who betrayed him. He had 11 other brothers, and 10 of them really hurt Joseph. They betrayed him. I grew up in church. I grew up in Sunday school class, so I always knew the story of Joseph, a great story. But the story of Joseph became very real to me as an adult probably early in my ministry years. I was a young minister. I was eager to serve the Lord and his church. I was called as a teenager. Actually, I was called into the ministry in college. I went to New York Institute of Technology. I wanted to become an architect. And while I was there, my first semester, God called me to Bible school. I always felt called to do something in the church, in the ministry I grew up. I was always going to be a major part, but it was to the pastorate when I was in, in college. So I transferred to Bible school. But again, I was eager to serve the Lord and serve His church. I didn't have much ministry experience. I didn't, my dad was not a you know, minister. In the, uh, you know, he's not a minister. He was a butcher. Uh, and so I grew up in church, but I 
didn't know all the behind-the-scenes stuff. And so, again, I took a youth pastorate. I was a, moved on. I became an associate pastor. And, and so I didn't have much ministry experience. I certainly made my mistakes. But I was eager to learn and eager to make a difference in the lives that God surrounded me with. And I worked hard at it. I worked very hard at it. See, we had a young family at the time. And so we had small, three small children at this point in time. And to be honest, looking back, I missed a lot of their childhood, their, their toddler years, I should say. Because I was working 60 and 70 hours a week. Some of that was forced upon me. Others, some of it was just me wanting to make a difference. You see, I was just working and working hard, you see, and trying to make a difference. But I, it was never enough. You ever work so hard and it just never seems to be enough, you see? I, that's where I was. I was just, and, I, and that made me even more determined, you see. I'm very goal-oriented, you see. And, and it just made me more determined. I'm working harder, more this and more that and more that. And this was obviously very frustrating, but I loved God, and I loved these people. I loved the church, and so I was willing to serve and, and, and do whatever I had to do to make a difference for the kingdom. And I was in my 20s. But when entering into ministry, when entering into the ministry as a young minister, I never imagined the kind of hurt and the kind of betrayal that I would experience, to be honest, from church people. I had unsaved friends that treated me a lot better. You see, it happens. It's because we're part of this broken world. <laughs> and we have to be transformed. And it's an ongoing process. But I never imagined, I was young, I was naive, I was eager to serve, and never imagined the kind of hurt I would experience inside the church. The hurt came from those I was loving. The betrayal came from those who were supposed to be caring for me and watching over me and supporting me. The pain came when the ones I prayed for day and night and invested myself in constantly, well, they would falsely accuse me of something that was so outrageous. They would believe all kinds of lies. They were quick to believe a lie as much as I gave to them. They were quick to believe a lie, some of them. And finally, the betrayal was just something I'd never experienced before. My family had never experienced before. And so after leaving that church, I didn't really know what to do. I didn't know how to act. I didn't know, so I found myself working in Belmont, Massachusetts, north of Boston, at an apartment complex where they trained me in maintenance. And I went from one bad situation to, to, to another. Some of you have heard the story of Rocky DiGiovanni. You see, he was, a, he was very wise as, when it came to maintenance. I'll say that. But it was like, why? All I want to do is please you, God. All I want to do is serve you, God. Why is this happening? You see, why am I feeling this kind of hurt? Why am I feeling this kind of betrayal? You see, well, I began to discover 
as time went on, and I was wondering why doors weren't opening and why God, it got, it got to the point where I, 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 it just knew, I just knew God was holding me back for something. This was not people. This was not people anymore. But so, something was, and I said, okay, God, maybe this is something that I need to, maybe this is between me and you and not me and, and those people or that person. And so I started praying, and I began to realize that the, this anger that I had, this bitterness, this unforgiveness that I was harboring, that was what was holding me back. That was what was keeping me down. That was what was making me miserable. I couldn't blame it on people anymore. I couldn't blame it on circumstances and situations. God had shown me, no, it's, it's in me. But how many know it's still hard then to forgive and move on? You want someone to blame, and as long as there's someone out there, you hate to blame yourself. <laughs> it's part of what this culture does right now. So I began specifically praying that God would show me how I could forgive this person and these people. I felt that God was leading me to the story of Joseph. And so I read the story of Joseph. I was eager. I was reading the story of Joseph every day, several days, reading it, reading it, reading it, reading it. But I didn't see what God was showing me. And so I was reading it, I was studying it, I'm going to my commentaries and trying to find, God, what are you showing me? I would try to read, maybe this is not God, I was trying to read other portions of Scripture. And, but I just couldn't. It was just not making sense. So I was drawn back and back and back to the story of Joseph. But the more I read the story of Joseph, the more I hated the story of Joseph. You see, Joseph seems to go through the worst of circumstances. The most painful of betrayals over and over and over again. And he just kind of goes through it with a smile on his face. Well, praise the Lord anyhow. You ever meet those people? Well, praise the Lord anyhow. You say, really? Come on. What are you really feeling? You see. But I've met people who are truly like that, and then I've met people who just kind of put on the face. I couldn't even put on the face. And the story of Joseph bothered me so much. Because I cried out to God, God, I can't be that guy. It hurts too much. But God kept me bringing me back to the story. And the more I thought about the story, the more discouraged I would get. Thinking to myself, God, this is... If this is what it takes to reach my destiny, if this is what it takes to reach my promise, then I'll never reach it. Because I'm not that guy. Then finally, in my frustration and in my seeking, I began to see something different that I had never seen before in the story of Joseph. Two very small verses within that whole story. And that story is 10 chapters. From Genesis chapter 37 to Genesis chapter 47. Two little small verses in those 10 chapters. And that's what I want to share with you today. The story of Joseph is the story of how Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery out of jealousy. They betrayed him. They were people who were supposed to care for him and protect him, and they hated him. The story of Joseph is the story of how his slave owner's wife falsely accuses him. So he ends up in prison. 
The story of Joseph, then, is the story of how one of his only friends in prison, upon his release, forgets all about him. The story of Joseph is the story of how Joseph finds a way to forgive all those who had hurt him deep to the core. How did Joseph experience all of this betrayal without getting frustrated and angry? That was my question when I was reading it. How did he experience all of this hurt and betrayal without getting frustrated, without getting angry, without letting bitterness take root in his heart and without harboring unforgiveness? You see, and how did that not hold him back? Because it was holding me back. It's easier to accept the fact that Jesus did it. Well, because, you know, Jesus is God. Yeah, he was 100% man, but it's, he was 100% God. And so, you know, it's hard, you know, okay, I'm not Jesus. I'll never be Jesus. But Joseph, he was born into this broken world just like you and I. So how did he manage it? And then in Genesis chapter 41, verse 51, it says this. I have it on the screen. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me to forget all my trouble and all my father's household. Now this verse comes after Joseph becomes the second in command of all Egypt. If you know the story, you know the story. Otherwise, read Genesis, those chapters, 47 to 57. You see, Pharaoh has a disturbing dream. God had given Joseph the ability to interpret dreams even while he was in prison. And so it's a troubling dream, and the whole kingdom, all of Egypt, is looking for someone to interpret this dream. And then Joseph's long-lost friend, the one who had forgotten about him, says, oh, I remember someone who can interpret. He's still in prison. And so Pharaoh calls him, and he interprets the dream. It's a dream uh, that, that is, is warning Pharaoh that there's a great famine coming, and if you don't take strong measures... Egypt will be destroyed. So he puts Egypt in charge of all, uh, he puts Joseph in charge of all of Egypt. And so there's no one more powerful in the world than Joseph except for Pharaoh himself. Wow. But how did he get there? How did anger and bitterness and frustration not hold him back? This was my quest to discover. And then this verse, Joseph named his, named his firstborn son Manasseh and said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's house. Could Joseph really forget all the trouble he had endured? No. Could he ever forget his father's house that probably for many, many, many years he wished he were back? Joseph's life up until this point, again, was one major disappointment after another one betrayal after another, one unfortunate circumstance after another, and it was all through no fault of his own. You know, there sometimes I make a mistake, and I think, well, I have to live with it. It's my consequence. I made the mistake. And even in that, God is gracious, and God is merciful, and he restores me, and he brings me back to where I need to be. But then there are circumstances through no fault of my own. I'm thrust onto a road or a path or a circumstance, a situation, and now all I want to do is blame someone else. Well, this was where Joseph was. And so now Joseph marries an Egyptian. He's second in command. 
and he has a son, and he names his son Manasseh. Was it Manasseh? Because he says, God has made me to forget all my troubles. He had learned to see the world's prisons as a stop along the way to God's promises. It was perspective. So point number one is this. The power of God's forgiveness is experienced in us and is shared through us when we accept our circumstances as part of God's plans. No matter how painful that circumstance is, no matter how frustrating that situation is, when we can see it as a stop along the way, when we can see it as something that God can use to bring us to our destiny, to bring us to our promise, that's the first step towards forgiveness. That's the first step of breaking yourself free from the shackles of unforgiveness that hold you back. We all have a destiny in Christ. I'm not just talking about heaven, even though that's our ultimate destiny. I'm not talking about the promises of God and the blessings of God for your life in the here and now. Unforgiveness will hold you from it. It'll keep you from it. You see, I'm very thankful for where I am now. I am blessed beyond measure. But I cannot be thankful for where I am now if I'm not thankful for the roads that brought me here, including the people who hurt me, including the circumstances and the situations that I had to go through that I would not wish on anybody. I would never want to do it again, but I'm very thankful for those times. Joseph's prisons were thrust upon him through no fault of his own. That's not always the case, but it was. These failures sometimes put us on a path that we feel is contrary to the blessings of God. That's contrary to my destiny. Little did Joseph know it's exactly where he needed to be. Accepting the hurts, accepting the pain, accepting the frustrations that you may be experiencing, we need to see them as something, as a part of what God wants to do in you, as something that God can use to bring us to his destiny, to be able to forgive those who hurt you. The world will see the power of God's forgiveness at work, and they'll be drawn to it. So getting back to the story of the Easter story, Jesus was able to forgive those who betrayed him. Why? Because he accepted the cross as a part of God's will for his life. It was a stop along the way. He didn't want to be there. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane? He prayed so fervently that he sweat droplets of blood. And he said, Father, let this cup pass from me. Is there any other way? It was the first time in the scriptures that we see Jesus' will not in line with the Father's will. He didn't want to do this. But he prayed long enough and hard enough, you see. He submitted himself to, no matter, even though it was difficult, he says, nevertheless, not my will be done, your will be done. And so we don't wish pain on anyone. 
We don't wish heartache and struggle and troubles on anyone. But it is certainly something God can use. Because I would not be the man I am today if it were not for those experiences. And I'm very thankful for what I can do, for where I am today and, and, and the perspective I can bring. The road to forgiveness starts with acceptance. Number two, point number two. Again, the power of God's forgiveness is experienced and is shared with others. One, when we accept our circumstances as a part of God's plan. Two, when we appreciate what God is doing through our pain. Whoa. When we can appreciate what God is doing through our pain. Genesis 41, verse 52, also says this. The second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me to prosper in the land of my suffering. Two very small verses in the middle of ten chapters. I feel as though Joseph was at this point in his life, looking back and thinking to himself, How could I have missed it? You see, these verses reveal to me that Joseph did experience this pain. He didn't just go through this with, ah, praise the Lord, anyhow. He felt the betrayal. He felt the hurt. He felt the pain. But now that he has been able to see the whole picture, he can look back and say, yes, my firstborn is Manasseh because God has made me forget my troubles in my father's household. My secondborn son I'm going to name Ephraim because as I look back, I can see God. God has made me to prosper in what I considered to be at one point a place of suffering. He was a slave in Potiphar's house, but he was put in charge of all of Potiphar's possessions, except his wife. He was treated more like an assistant. He was a prisoner after being falsely accused, but in time he was put in charge of all the other prisoners. He was treated more like the warden's assistant. Still not really where he wanted to be, you see. And those prisons not only led him, though, to Pharaoh, but those prisons taught him the skills that he would need as Pharaoh's second-in-command. Think about that. Where did he learn how to do all this? It was while he was a slave in Potiphar's house, and while he was in prison. He learned the leadership skills, the, the, the skills to manage people and situations and problem solve. What would have happened if Pharaoh, after hearing this interpretation, right, of, of, of this dream, says, yeah, God spoke to you, so I'm just going to put you in charge of everything. And then he flopped royally because he didn't know how to manage people. He didn't know how to uh, deal with problems or problems or how things worked. It would have been the end of Joseph. So his prisons didn't only lead him to Pharaoh, but it led him to success, being able to solve these problems. He didn't appreciate those places while he was there. No one does. Well, at least I should say it's hard to. This message is all about getting to the point, well, while we're in that pain or while we're in that circumstance or situation, I'll accept it, Lord, as a, a stop along the way. Or I'll appreciate what you're doing in me through this circumstance. 
I went from a very hurtful situation to working maintenance. I was a, a, a maintenance guy for 400 apartments up in Boston, working for a miserable man. But I learned some skills. And that brought me to Lancaster. That allowed me to get a job in Lancaster, and able, I was able to take a church that was about to, to go under. It was, it was struggling. It was ready to die, and God didn't want it to die. And it would take a pastor that was able to work outside the church. And I was able to get a job in the very town that I pastored. But not only that, I got that job three years before that church ever needed a pastor. Talk about God arranging the chess pieces. I was living in Mannheim and working in Mannheim, and the kids were going to school in Mannheim. I was a soccer coach in Mannheim. My, girl, my wife became a substitute teacher in Mannheim. I began to know people in Mannheim three years before I ever became a pastor in Mannheim. So I knew the culture. I knew the, the people. And it really helped that situation. I could not have... I could not have done that. I'm not smart. God arranged the pieces. And I was able to look back and say, yeah, in the place where I thought I was suffering, God has made me to prosper. And I, became, I got a name for myself in, man, in, in the apartment industry uh, in, La, in Lancaster. They paid me well to keep me. It was a, I was able then to put Julie back to school, and she got her education, finished her education. We were able to get the girls into to, to Christian school, and we needed help. But for many years, while doing the two-job thing, pastoring the church, and, and I saw it as a place of suffering. But I had gotten to the point where, I, God, I'll accept this as a stop along the way, and I'll appreciate what you're doing in me through my pain. And that brought me to the place of forgiveness. I was able to forgive him. I don't think twice about it. And I'm very thankful for the things I learned while I was there. Things of the Spirit. The power of God's forgiveness is experienced by me and is shared through me when I can accept my circumstances as part of God's plans and when I can appreciate what God is doing through my pain. Palm Sunday is not just about how Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. It's about how all those people who had accepted him now rejected him. It's about all those people who Jesus loved now showed their hatred towards him. It's about how deeply hurt and how deeply wounded Jesus was by all the rejection. But Palm Sunday is also about how Jesus was able to forgive those people. Palm Sunday is about the power of forgiveness. And perhaps you're here today, and you know you have been one to reject Jesus and reject his ways. You, are, you know that you haven't been living the life that pleases him. You know that you have failed him in some way, shape, or form. And after this service, I want to pray for you. I want to pray with you that you would be able to forgive yourself, to ask the Lord to forgive you 
and that you would be able to then forgive yourself, because that's a big part of it as well. But also, perhaps you're here today, and, and you're having a hard time forgiving people, someone who has hurt you, whether they are people in your distant past many years ago, or they are people in your present. You know how you, know, you, know how you could tell that your past isn't truly past? It's because when you think of that person, or someone mentions that person, or you bump into that person, it's happened to me, those feelings start coming up. And you're, anno- at the very least, annoyed at that person. You don't want to be near that person. You don't want to speak to that That's how you know it's, it's not truly in your past, you see. And so forgiving is not a, just a once-and-done thing. It's something that, to be honest, i got to continue doing over and over and over again. And so perhaps you're here today and your past isn't truly past. The hurts, you think they're gone, but maybe they're just calloused over. And you're having a hard time with what happened in your past. It somehow held you back. It's kept you down. It's kept you from experiencing all of God's promises and all of God's blessings. Well, there is power in forgiveness. And as much as of God that you might have experienced, there's so much more waiting for you if you're able to let it go and forgive yourself, because we all make mistakes, and forgive others. And you know what? I think sometimes, it's hard to understand by saying it this way, but sometimes we need to forgive God. Have you ever blamed God for your circumstance? I was there. It's like, God, why would you let this happen to me? I'm so angry at what you're doing. Ugh. You want to get God's attention. You, you, want, you think God is silent? Tell God you're angry at him. He'll, 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 make him, he'll start speaking to you. Yeah. The power of forgiveness. How will the world know the power of forgiveness? They're not reading this. Not yet. They know it because of us. They see it because of us. And if we can't forgive, then why would they expect want to come to God? Why would they expect God to forgive them if we can't forgive them? They don't see it in us. They won't see it in God. I'm going to do something different. I'm going to close in prayer and dismiss. But I really do feel as maybe one, but probably more, that would like prayer. So I'll ask us to dismiss quietly. I, I never do it this way, but for some reason I just feel like maybe we'll do it this way. That if you're dismissed, then feel free and, and gather in the lobby and, you know, sh- uh, fellowship. But if you would like prayer, I'm going to just keep the altars open. I'll ask maybe a few of us to, to, to be available to pray. I'll ask Lester to kind of put a Instead of an upbeat song, usually I like that upbeat song afterwards, kind of get us going. And, but I'll ask him to put a little bit of a soft worship song on. And if you need prayer, if you are still holding on to unforgiveness, and you don't want to hold it on, on to it, no one ever does, but yet for some reason it, it's clung to you, then I want to pray for you, and we want to pray for you. 
Because there is power, the power of God, that can come on a person's life like no experience you've ever had when you're able to forgive. When you're able to forgive. So let's close in prayer, and then I'll ask us to to respond. Lord God, I'll never know the price you paid. I'll never know hopelessness or helplessness. I'll never know a situation that is too overwhelming for me because I know you've taken it and you've provided me with the grace and the peace and the mercy. You've given me forgiveness so that I can come to you. I thank you for that. I thank you for where I am, God. And I thank you for every road that has taken me here. The good and the bad, the high and the low. Those who have blessed me and prayed for me and wanted nothing but good for me. But I thank you for the ones who have hurt me. The ones who have, who have wanted nothing but ill for me. Lord Jesus, I thank you for those experiences and what you have done in my life because of them. And so I pray now that you would help us to forgive those who have hurt us, that we would be able to better show this broken world the power of your forgiveness. No, we'll never know the pain and all that you had to go through to provide that for us. But nonetheless, you have provided it for us. And we can experience it. The freedom that comes from your forgiveness. So I pray now that when tough times come and the struggles come, the uncertainties come and the hurts come and the pain comes, that we'll be able to accept it as a stop along the way. And we'll be able to appreciate what you are doing and what you want to do in us that will benefit us and benefit your kingdom in the days and the weeks, even years to come. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hello, everyone. This is Pastor James. I hope you enjoyed today's message. My prayer is that you would always experience all that God has for you. New Franklin Assembly exists to advance God's kingdom, to encourage God's people, and to serve our community. If you're in the Chambersburg area, we would love to have you join us for a live service. For more information, please visit our website at www.newfranklinag.org. Thank you. God bless.